50 seasons of New York Islanders hockey. And the New York Islanders have won their fourth straight Stanley Cup. A once-in-a-lifetime celebration. Oh, my goodness, Ryan Pollock saved the game! This is Talkin' Isles with Greg Picker and Corey Wright. We welcome you into another edition of Talkin' Isles, New York Islanders' official interview-based podcast. Greg Picker here, the Islanders radio color commentator, joined alongside by senior writer for NewYorkIslanders.com, Corey Wright. And we welcome in a guest today that became a fan favorite in only 43 games with the Islanders in the early 2010s, in particular because of one game in February 2011. Brought on Michael Haley, who, as you said, made a pretty big impression in a pretty short amount of time. A real tough player, spent a couple of years playing for the then Bridgeport Sound Tigers, came up for the Islanders, played in that legendary game against the Penguins, otherwise known as Fight Night. Uh, Michael Haley, actually the team record holder for penalty minutes in a period on that night. But it's a lot of fun to get to talk to him about his career in general, coming up through the American League, uh, carving out a pretty long NHL career for himself. He's now coaching with the Sarnia Sting in the Ontario Hockey League. So fun to catch up with a guy that, like we said, made a pretty big impression in a pretty short amount of time. And a fun nugget, he was actually in the Sarnia Sting locker room when we recorded this interview. Haley also spent time with the San Jose Sharks, the Rangers, the Florida Panthers, and the Ottawa Senators. We'll take it away with Michael Haley. Away goes Michael Haley, three on two down the right wing side. Haley cuts it to the net, shoots, he scores! What a play by Michael Haley! And the Islanders have a 3-2 lead! He took it all the way down the right wing side, beat the defense, went backhand, forehand, and then slid it back against the grain inside the right post. The Islanders, with a pair of third-period goals, have the lead restored. It's 3-2 New York. We now welcome in Michael Haley to the Talking Isles podcast. And, Michael, you're a native of Guelph, Ontario, so we always like to go back. You know, what are maybe your earliest hockey memories, whether it was on the ice or even just being a fan of the game? Um, actually, uh, I was born in Guelph. Um, I've never lived there. I don't, I don't know why. It, uh, I think when it says birthplace, I just wrote I was born in Guelph, but I grew up in Oshawa and I'd say the, actually, the, the earliest memories I have is, you know, the Oshawa generals. I think that's when like, I really started to love hockey. You know, you get, uh, around the age where you think these guys are, they think that, you know, you think they're in the NHL and, and they're so accessible and you get to be, you know, go to the the old civic auditorium and see these guys play. I think that's when I was like, you know, really, uh, really fell in love with the game. Of course, the generals, one of the fabled Canadian junior hockey teams, but you know, you look at your OHL career, you play with the Sarnia sting and the St. Mike's majors. But one of the things that stood out to Greg and I is that you were teammates with Adam Pellick's brothers, Matt and Mike. So I don't know if you have any memories of the Pellick brothers and if you could share any of those with us. Yeah, yeah, I played with both of them. Yeah, I know that family pretty well. Big Bo, their dad, they're all characters. Yeah, Matty was uh, a year younger than me, so he was a rookie here in Sarnia with me. And then when I went to Toronto, I think it was Michael's second or, or third year maybe. But uh, they're all <laughs> they're all very similar. They're, uh, you know, I don't remember the younger one. He may have been uh, pretty little back then. But, yeah, they're characters. They they like to, uh, at least Matty and Mike, they were always uh, – Big voices in the room, big bodies outside the room too. So I heard they were really book smart. I never, uh, I've never heard or seen them in school, but I, they, if they're book smart, they, they do a good job hiding it. 
Adam Pellick made the All-Star game last year, and it was a bit of a family affair. So I actually had the chance to talk to Matt. He was an interesting guy. Didn't get a chance to talk to Mike, but that is because he is still playing or was still playing in the ECHL. And you want to talk about dedication to hockey. He recently played his 800th game in the ECHL last season. So when you want to talk about a family that is just dedicated to hockey, that is it right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They definitely love the game. And uh, I remember Matty, he, he was uh, and he was a high pick, wasn't he? I think he was a first-rounder to Calgary, maybe, something like that. But he, I remember him and him in junior, and he was so big and so strong that he'd get penalties, you know, just by being too big and too strong, not necessarily meaning to. He was just – he would just try and move someone out of the net, but he was so much bigger than them that they'd go flying and he'd get a penalty. Yeah, good memory there. 26th overall to the Flames in 2005 – was Matt Pellick, who, like you said, played with you in Sarnia. Uh, we know you're in, in Sarnia these days helping out assistant coach. Can you just take us through what you're up to in Sarnia? Yeah, we uh, we had training camp a couple weeks ago, and now we're just kind of gearing up, getting ready for the uh, regular season to start. we got a few guys still away at uh, NHL camps and just trying to prepare uh, You know, the guys that are still here, getting ready for the season and, and awaiting our other guys to come back. And hopefully, you know, by the time the season starts – you know, we're on, we're firing on all cylinders. After the OHL, you know, your professional career really starts with the Islanders organization. So just kind of take us to how you wound up getting into the Islanders organization and those early days in Bridgeport as well. Actually, I, uh, I went and played in South Carolina my last year of junior after uh, Toronto, we didn't make playoffs. So I went and played in South Carolina and I had actually somewhat planned on going to school. I didn't have too many options, so I was probably just going to go to a Canadian university. And then when I went to uh, play in South Carolina in the East Coast League, and I think I had five or six goals in seven games and a couple fights, and I just realized that that was that was my kind of hockey. And my, I, and I think that was the first time too that I really, you know, was like I could do this. This is this is something that I I think I can succeed in. So. And then when I went home for the summer, I didn't have an agent or anything. I'd fired my agent in junior and not being drafted. So, like I said, I thought I was just destined to go to school. And uh, But I had a buddy that I played with here in Sarnia, uh, Jamie Fraser. And so I got in contact with his agent, Peter Cooney. And Peter Cooney got me a deal with Bridgeport in Utah on a two-way AHL East Coast League deal. So, I mean, I didn't even know that South Carolina held my rights still and all that Mambo Jamble. I just signed a contract and went and played after the season. So he had to negotiate uh, and they were nice enough to let me leave South Carolina and pursue my dream. And um, yeah, so I went into Bridgeport's training camp and I think I had, I, I want to say six fights in three games. And actually another guy that I played with Tyler Haskins, he was there too. And we both uh, got phone calls to, to meet Cappy at the uh, coach's room. So when we get there and everyone's getting called in and, Finally, it was just me and him left, and someone came back and said, he'll see both of you. And we were like, oh, we're not even getting good enough to get cut alone. we got to go in together. So then we went in, and Cappy said, you know, in his voice, you know, what are you doing here? And we were like, we had messages, and he said, yeah, it was for your roommates. You guys are good. You made it. So we went home, or we went back to the hotel. And then the next day, we showed up to practice, and two guys got sent down from the aisles. I don't know if it was – I think it might have been Jacko and, and Bootland. And so then we did get cut that day. Then we got sent down to Utah. So that was my first uh, first experience with Bridgeport. And then we went to Utah and eventually got called up and never left. 
So a few years in Bridgeport because you spend three years, you know, between uh, half a year in Utah, half a year in Bridgeport, and then almost two full seasons in Bridgeport. But you must have been doing something right because you get rewarded right at the end of that 2009-10 season with a pair of games in the NHL. What was that experience like? And did you realize at that point I'm making my mark in this organization and if they're going to reward me like this? Um, you know what? Like, I've told this story before. And, and uh, for me at that point, when I got called up the first time, you know, the, the token two games there at the end of the season, for me that was, you know, this might be my only ever time to play in the NHL. So it was a pretty big deal. And especially from, like I said, only two years ago, two or three years late, earlier, I thought I was going to be in school and kind of, you know, was about to give up on the on the dream of playing. So it was a huge deal for me, but I treated it more as this might be my only chance. And then obviously after after you, you reach that goal, and, I, you know, my goal was to ever make it play a game in the NHL. And then right when the, the games were done, you know, it was – okay, well, now we got to set a new goal, and the goal is to try and be an NHL player. So, you know, it was very exciting and, and humbling to fulfill one goal, but when it ended, you know, not not soon after was there was, I think I can do this and, and uh, you know, set another goal to, to be a regular. So I was going back through some of those old Bridgeport teams today, just, you know, looking at uh, elite prospects, and, the American League's always been a really tough league. And I looked at some of those Bridgeport teams, and I think one year the team had you, Jeremy Yablonski, and Brett Gallant all on the same team. So I guess, can you talk about how, you know, how necessary that was back in the late 2000s of how tough that league was and just kind of, you know, a bit of that team identity and, you know, just maybe some of the oh, tougher yeah. guys in that league at that time and some guys you remember tangling with, any of that? Well, when I, yeah, my first couple of years, I wasn't even. I wasn't even probably in the discussion of when people showed up to play us. You know, we had every we had Mitch Fritz, we had Kip Brennan, we had Trevor Gillies, Yabo. You know, and then and then you had Galley and and me, and then you had you know. And then there was like another list of five or six middleweights, and <laughs> we were definitely a, a tough team. But uh, back then, there was it was still around. It was still the style of play, and there were still a lot of guys that that. Uh, you know, that's what they were there for. And, and it was still, it was just kind of starting to switch around then. Right. So, but there were some, some big, scary guys. Yeah. Uh, anyone that kind of stands out in particular and maybe you had a couple of run-ins with? Well, like I said, it was a little easier for me back then too, because I didn't have to, it's not like I had to go to bed thinking I had to fight any of these guys. Right. So, but I would fight like, I think I fought Kevin Westgarth a few times, maybe once. Like it wasn't, I, I usually got the, the pickings of the guys that I wanted to, if I, if I felt like it, I could do it. If I did some other big guy would come in and real tough guy and come and help him, you know? Well, you knew we were going to get into this because you get called up for the game February 11th, 2011 against the Pittsburgh Penguins at the Coliseum. It was just a week after an Islander Penguins game in Pittsburgh that did not go the Islanders way. And one week later, it's your third NHL game. You score your first NHL goal. Here's Michael Haley on a rush down the right wing side. Walks in, shoots, he scores! Michael Haley has his first goal in the NHL, and the Islanders have a 6-0 lead! You pick up 39 penalty minutes, and oh yeah, a 9-3 win as well. What was it like going into that one, and then and then finally everything that occurred on the ice? Yeah, that one was uh, obviously, you know, when I got called up, I knew, I knew the history, you know, of, Obviously, Bridgeport's not too far from 
the island. So it was, uh, you could watch the highlights. We knew what was going on. So um, I knew it was going to be a pretty emotional game. And, and not only that too, but a lot of the, the Islanders team, especially then, um, you know, kind of starting to rebuild type thing. Those were guys I played with. So, you know, it wasn't like I got called up to a team and I had no emotions or, or a real connection. Like, you know, I got up there right away and felt like that. It felt like I was there the, the week before. So, yeah, and obviously, like I said, it, I also had in the back of my mind that my new goal was to to prove that I could be a, an NHL player and, and, you know, stick around. So, obviously, I wanted to be seen, and, and <laughs> the way I get seen is might be different than other people, but that's, uh, you know, that was my goal. And I think the first shift, I got a roughing penalty. I think my next shift, I fought, and I was feeling pretty good after that. I got back into the game, but it's funny, out of all the uh, – you know, in the three fights and fighting the goalie and this and that, but everyone forgets that was my first NHL goal though. That was, that's, you know, most people remember their first NHL goal and that's like the big, big day, but mine gets overshadowed by the other stuff sometimes, but it was a pretty good goal too. Might've been the nicest one I scored in the NHL my whole career. That's a great first goal story. Uh, one of the main visuals from that game is, you know, you going down there to fight Brent Johnson. And of course he was maybe part of the reason that whole thing had been kind of, started i guess or kicked off in the first place so you know is that the kind of moment where like what's going through your head as you're going back down there he obviously seemed to know what the score was or is that just kind of caught up in the moment and things are happening and just i don't know i mean yeah it's definitely caught up in the moment i mean you know i got up after off of talbot and there was no refs to i started skating towards the box and there's nobody you know there's a brawl going on so there was nobody guiding me anywhere and he was standing I don't know if he was just in, at the blue or close to the blue, and I just pointed at him, and yeah, and then it went. So I, it, what definitely not wasn't premeditated, but I also was like, well, what's next? I, I can't just, I'm not going to go sit myself in the penalty box. So, but uh, obviously, knowing you know the week before, and he definitely, I saw him when I pointed at him, he shook his, his glove. So it was, I mean, by that point, there's the second brawl. It's kind of free for all, isn't it? It's, anything goes now. I have to ask, after you were back in the locker room well before the game came to an end, what was it like every single time another player entered the locker room, again, well before the final buzzer, because by the end of the game, there were maybe three extra guys on the bench for each side. So it it didn't just end when you got kicked out of the game and and received a a game misconduct. There were plenty going around. Yeah, well, usually, uh, you know, there's plenty of times where I've been kicked out of hockey games and I'm in the shower and or I'm doing my lift or whatever. This time I'm pretty sure we were all sitting there glued to the TV, still watching. So it was definitely, uh, you know, not your typical, typical game. We all, we were all watching and, and yeah, like you said, every time someone new came in, it was, uh, you know, a couple, couple high fives and then they sat down and watched too, to see what else is going to happen. So, you know, it was definitely easier to, to be in that situation when we were up in the game too. Right. So. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we've been doing a lot of stuff for the 50th anniversary and looking back at a bunch of team records and your 32 penalty minutes are actually the team record for penalty minutes in a period. So your name is in the Islanders record books in that sense right there. But, you know, I think Greg and I, we started with the team the season after that, but a lot of guys I remember back around then talked about how they felt just kind of like the perception of the Islanders had maybe shifted a little bit after that game, you know, a couple rougher years the start of that rebuild and then after a night like that I think kind of the maybe 
view from the fans is that this is a team that's going to stick up for itself and perhaps a little bit more respect on the ice. Did you kind of sense that? I know you weren't with the team prior to fight night, but did you kind of get that sense after that the perception of the team had changed a little bit after that night? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that's a pretty big, uh, bonding experience, right? So you're kind of thrown into a situation there as a, as a whole team. And, and when you, when everybody's got each other's back and, and it was obviously such an emotional game, but I think, uh, you know, after that game, the rest of the season, there was definitely still some games we, you know, we got handed it to pretty good. But I think for the most part, after that game, we, we went in there with a little more chip on our shoulder, a little more swagger every time saying, you know, we're not going to be a doormat. We might, we might not win every game, but we're going to, we're going to at least make it memorable and, and make, make it so that when we go into places or when they come into Coliseum, it's not, you know, they're not excited to come play the Islanders. It's not point night anymore. It's, you know, they better be ready to play. You did stay up with the big club the rest of that season. And because again, we said that was only your, your third NHL game. Did you realize just how quickly you became a fan favorite? It's pretty uncommon for a player to become a fan favorite, just three games into their NHL career. Well, I played parts of 12 seasons in the NHL, and that was the only time where, even though when I was in the shower, I could still hear Haley being chanted at the Coliseum. So, you know, it's definitely one of the, uh, you know, the, the coolest moments of my career, especially in, you know, in that barn. It was it was old. You could hear everything. It was electric, and it was really exciting. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, obviously, when you, my career's been over now, this going into my second year retiring, and, it comes up a lot. It's a lot of, uh, you know, when people ask you about stories when you're playing or, you know, a lot of people still remember that uh, they'll ask me about it. So yeah, it was, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't predict or write that kind of script, you know, but uh, like I said, it just kind of, the, the chips fell and, and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, the, the outcome that, it, that we did by winning the game and scoring, and, you know, like I said, having the reception from the fans there. So before we move to you know some of the other parts of your NHL career, just looking back at your time in Bridgeport, I love asking guys just about their stories of three and threes because that is something that is totally unique to the American League. So, you know, do you have any? I think guys have said Bridgeport's actually one of the better places just because you've got a lot of places nearby, so those trips perhaps aren't as tough. Not saying they're easy. That's definitely not where we're going with this. But you know, any good three and three stories, and you know, even just memorable teammates from your time in Bridgie. Well, it's funny when you mention the three and three, like it's, and it's, you got to understand too, is back then it wasn't like you just played three hockey games, at least for me and, and a lot of the other guys, right. It was still kind of, you know, the, the, there was still a lot of the old school kind of hockey being played. So sometimes that's three fights in three and two and a half days. It's not three and three, it's two and a half. Cause your, your Sunday game's always an afternoon game. So, you know, <laughs> and especially though, you know, those really tough guys, they got to fight you know, imagine fighting three heavyweights back to back to back, you know, you're pretty sore after that, but that's, a, that's what, what do they call it? The jungle. It's the jungle league, right? That's it's uh, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of guys that came there that were drafted and, you know, they have mysterious groin pulls and uh, a lot of uh, injuries very early on because they're, they, it takes them a while to adapt to the, the grueling schedule um, of the AHL. But I don't know. I, it, to me, it was, uh, like you said, you, you, it makes you close with your teammates and uh, it kind of sets you up for how bad do you want this. 
So after moving on from the Islanders organization, you spent a couple of years in the Rangers organization, and then you found a home in Northern California with the Sharks for a few seasons, uh, a little bit of time with the Barracuda in the AHL, but a lot of time at the NHL level with the Sharks. And one of those years, even if you didn't get to play in that playoff run, 2016, that's a team that went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. So just memories of being a Shark and, and were you around the guys for that playoff run all the way to the Cup Final? Yeah, yeah, no, I played, uh, you know, I was, I played, I think, half of that season, if not more. And, uh, you know, it's that's a tough spot to be in because obviously you want uh, success and, and you want to, you want your team to win. And, and, you know, we were right there. But then in the same breath, you know, you, you want nothing more than to play. But uh, there were a few games there that I thought I would get in. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're just there and, and you're ready and, and, uh, making sure that if, if your name does get called, you get to go play. But it was a long uh, – that's a lot of bag skating and, you know, watching a lot of hockey. But it was an experience that, uh, you know, it was amazing. And that group of guys, you know, I'm still very close with a lot of them. And, you know, there's a reason, you know, teams that win Stanley Cups, they're, 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 they're uh, you know, their bond that they have with each other because it's a grueling season. And then to add, you know, hard playoffs on top of that, you got to really uh, – you know, be a cohesive unit and, and really uh, stick together. So that was a great experience. You know, fell short, obviously, but, uh, you know, I think uh, looking back on my career and I think many of the guys there too, that was, you know, a group of guys that we all loved to be with. And, uh, you know, there was no, there was no separation between anybody. You know, it, we don't have roommates anymore, um, only the, the young guys, but that would have been one of those teams where if you had you know, roommates, you could, you could pick a, throw a dart at the team list and it wouldn't bother you. You know, everybody got along and, you know, we all had the same goal. So it was a great, uh, great year. So speaking of some of your former teammates and to go back to your Islander days, uh, you know, Josh Bailey is on the cusp of playing a thousand games in the NHL. And, you know, the time that you would have played with him uh, in the Islanders organization, he would have been a very young player kind of just at the onset of his career. So I'm, we're curious if you have any Josh Bailey stories or just memories or impressions of him now that he is on the cusp of a thousand games. What well, doesn't surprise me. I actually know uh, Bales even from uh, before playing. He's he's from Bowmanville, which is um, the town next to mine. So we would train at the same gym and we'd go home and train. And uh, you know, so we were we were uh, we were pretty close back then. And when he got down to Bridgeport a few times, we'd room on the road together, but. I think uh, Bales did an amazing job. You know, he was he was kind of thrown into the NHL very young on a team that probably wasn't the greatest and put into situations that most 18-year-olds don't have to fill. They they have time to, to go down and develop and hone their skills so that by the time they get called upon, they're ready for it. And I think he did a great job. And he's always been a, you know, a super intelligent hockey player and doesn't surprise me one bit he's coming up on a thousand but he was also you know a great kid and a great teammate so I don't think there's too many people that have that know Josh or or have played with him that don't have uh, anything good to say he's you know he deserves all these uh, all the credit he's getting so moving along in your NHL career after San Jose you go to Florida and then back to San Jose back to the Rangers what does it say when you see franchises welcome you back into the fold that they really wanted you to be a part of things for even a second time around that you made that type of mark with them. What does it say? It says, (laughs) it says they should have paid me what I wanted the first time. No, no, it doesn't say that. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously 
that's something that I felt that was important when I played hockey. I was a team guy. I mean, I'm not uh, going to be your first line center. I'm not going to get you to 80, 90 points. So, you know, my job's there is to, at least how I looked at it was, you know, to, to be able to judge how a hockey game's going. And if my team needs momentum or if I, you know, we need energy or my job's to try and make the players around me better, safer, and, you know, get the good players to go and, and be good. And uh, so obviously being a team guy was important to me and also just how much I loved going to the rink. And, you know, obviously I still, still live in a rink even when I'm done. So uh, there's nothing better than playing hockey for a living. So, yeah, I think it, uh, looking back on it, it, you know, hopefully it speaks well on, on, uh, you know, who I was as a teammate that uh, people were, you know, maybe they, hopefully they were felt maybe that there's, you know, they needed someone like me or, you know, they had, uh, you know, while I was there, they enjoyed whatever I brought that they thought maybe that's what they were missing at this time. So, yeah, two teams going back. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I never really put too much stock into it. I, I just, uh, just trying to keep playing hockey. Well, this is something that uh, Elliot Friedman and the guys at 32 Thoughts like to ask guys that, you know, played a similar role to yourself. And I thought it was interesting. Bob Nystrom years ago said that, you know, there were guys that he hated playing against when he was on the ISC. I think he brought up Mel Bridgman of the Flyers a few times and said when he actually got to meet him off the ice, he was surprised at how much he actually liked him. So for a guy that's had your role in the NHL, was there ever a guy that you hated playing against or maybe had a few tilts with that you met off the ice and thought, hey, you know what, this guy's maybe not so bad? Yeah, there's very few, very few people that, you know, you fight on the ice or you dislike that, you know, if you saw them walking down the street, you'd pull your truck over and go get them. Then most of them are all, you know, we're all very similar in nature and hockey in general is a pretty small world. So, you know, if you're a friend of a guy that I know and I'm friends with them, there's usually a good chance we're all going to get along. So usually it's the opposite, actually. You know, a lot of teams I go to, the guy that I usually go to battle with, we, we usually click right away. And usually we're pretty excited that now we're on the same side. So, but for instance, like take Stu Bickle, you know, I had a few, I would fight Stu a lot when he was in the Rangers. And then we knew instantly, right when we were on the same team that we were going to click. And, and like I said, hockey's a small world. So you never really, it's very rare that you meet somebody or a teammate that you don't already know through somebody or, or know about, or, you know, there's always a, a link in the chain somewhere that puts us all together. So yeah, it, it's a big world, but it's actually a very small uh, small world. Somebody knows you somewhere and we'll get the juice on you. All right. Last one from us because you're back in Sarnia. Have they put up the Matt Martin statue yet? <laughs> Matt Martin. No, it's no Matt Martin statue and there won't be while I'm here. <laughs> Not unless the mine's bigger. Michael, thank no, you so much for the I time. Think, I think Stammer's got him beat. They were line mates. I think weren't they line mates? Maybe. I don't know. He was after <laughs> me, I think. Well, thank you again. Uh, we really appreciate the time. Okay, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us on another edition of Talk at Isles. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might listen. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Greg Picker here. And I am at Rightsway. You can follow all the latest info about the team on Twitter at NY Islanders and stay up to date on UBS Arena at ubsarena.com. A big thank you to our producer, Rachel Lusher, and to WRAQ at Hofstra University. And we'll see you next time on Talking Isles.